Business Hour with Oliver Feng on OFM. Now, the South African courts have by and large consistently upheld an employer's right to restrain an employee from unfairly competing with a former employer where certain needs have been met. These include the employer being able to show protectable interest and a properly drafted restraint. We're talking all things restraint of trade agreements or clauses with Helena Stradom, labor law attorney and accredited mediator. Before we unpack the case law around restraint of trade agreements and some of the nuances there, let's touch on what exactly is a restraint of trade agreement. A restraint of trade agreement is when you enter into a contract, usually with your employer, or sometimes it, it also deals with the sale of businesses and so on involved, but generally with an employer and an employee. And the employee agrees by contract to restrain or restrict these activities post-employment with employers. So, for example, I enter into a restraint of trade agreement with you as employer. Now I leave your employment, and that agreement says I cannot take up employment with a competitor for a certain period in a certain area, or I've got to protect your business interests by confidentiality, etc. So that would be the gist of a restraint of trade. Now, in South Africa, there's a general principle that you are allowed to do that. You are allowed to freely enter into a contract. The Latin principle is facastum servanda est, but if you want to escape the consequences thereof, you then have to show that this restraint you entered into is against public policy and unreasonable. Now, this changes a bit from the English law where it's exactly the opposite. The person who wants to enforce it has to prove it. Mm -hmm. In our country, it's the employee who says, I don't want to be bound by this restraint any longer. I feel that I entered into it under duress or under whatever circumstances. That employee then has to prove that it was unreasonable and it's contrary to public policy. Well, let's expand a bit on that. What constitutes an unreasonable or an unfair restraint of trade agreement? I've heard some pretty strict ones, hey? Like, I know some places give you a year, some places give you much longer, particularly when you're at executive level. Mm, that is quite correct. Now, there's a kind of a fallacy, and I come across it quite often with employees thinking that, ah, oh, the restraint is not worth the paper it's written on. I can just ignore it. Now, you do that at your peril, but the employer must also be very careful when drafting a restraint because the courts are very careful in implementing them or upholding them. When you talk about what is reasonable, it will depend entirely on the circumstances of the case. If you are at a very high level, because what the employer would like to do usually is protect a protectable interest, such as customer relations and clients and confidential information that you wouldn't be generally able to get in the media or somewhere else. Now, when you're in that situation, and you are at a very high level, you've got very high or very detailed access to this kind of information. Your restraint would be considered more reasonable if it was a bit longer than someone who's at a junior level with less information and less access. But it seems to me that the courts are inclined in general to accept about a year as a reasonable restraint period. And I'm making a very big generalization. Again, I'm not saying it cannot be longer, but if you are going to try and implement a restraint for longer than that, you're going to have to give very good reasons to the court when you file for an application to interdict someone from freely applying their trade. You're going to have to give very good reasons why you say it should be longer than a year. Then the second element which is important is the geographical or territorial restriction. Now, if someone worked in Gauteng 
at a particular area and only had access to customers right around that and it was restricted in that respect and you said, all right, a 50-kilometer radius, 5-kilometer radius, depending on the nature of the restraint and of the work, that would be fine. But the moment you start saying, okay, I'm going to implement it in the whole of Gauteng or in five of the nine provinces or in the whole of South Africa, you're going to have to, again, explain why you say it should be applicable to all those situations and to all those people in that entire area. Mm. So this is where the recent case of Sadan and others with workforce staffing came in. It was nationwide throughout the Republic restraint that it was applicable for two years. My goodness. In this case, the court found that it wasn't enough of an explanation or a convincing explanation by the employer as to why it should be applicable for two years. They bought and understood why it could be throughout South Africa, but they then reduced the restraint period to one year, and that was applicable to us. So the important thing is you can't restrain someone or restrict someone from applying their trade, but you can restrain them from doing so in a way which would not be fair to the employer under the circumstances. Yeah, and, and, and you say that this is a reminder as to why we need to respect restraints, particularly if we're employees. Absolutely. You often find the case that employers include restraint of trade agreement standard in all their contracts of employment. Now, this is risky because it dilutes the value of a restraint in the first place. But in the second place, if you're going to try and enforce it against a junior employee who has no access to confidential information, particularly to clients or client lists or modes of marketing or specific secrets and so on, what are you trying to restrain them against? You have to have a protectable interest. That is critical. Mm. Now, my client list are a protectable interest if they are not available generally. I sell a cold drink yes. and anybody in the street can come and buy a cold drink. I can't say those are my customers and I want to protect them. But if I have a niche market and I've cultivated clients over a long period of time and I've sourced them and I've gone to great trouble of doing so, those employees and their names and their details are very valuable. Now, a junior employee may not have access to that. And even if they may have some access, they won't have the ability to draw that customer away from the employer. There's simply not that influence or that relationship. But if you're a senior person who's been working for a company for many years and your job is to market and to build relationships with these people and you simply go away and start your own shop next door, taking those clients, effectively stealing them from your employer, you're looking for trouble. But again, to enforce restraints against all your employees, regardless of the level, is not very wise by an employer. That's labor law attorney and credited mediator, Helena Stradom. She's also the owner of Helena Stradom Attorneys, reminding us of the importance of respecting restraints where you may pay the price in court. There's still more of my conversation with Helena coming. This is the OFM Business Hour. The Business Hour on OFM. You say here as well that a restraint of trade may in certain circumstances also be used to protect a group of companies where correctly drafted. Expand on that a bit for us. Okay, I have a company mm-hmm. and let's uh, offer a professional legal service. Now, I'm not as an attorney, but as a consultant, for example. Now I have related companies. My sister company offers tax services and the other company offers HR services, etc. But we are all part of the same group under, say, for example, Helena Stratum Corporate Services, something to that effect. But each one is a separate company or a separate legal entity. Let's say I employ you under the corporate services company, but now you are used to also render tax services to some of the legal clients and maybe also to some of the HR people or 
I move you from the tax services company to the HR company to go and do admin work and marketing and stuff for them. But you know who my clients are, you're dealing with them. I don't have to enter into a restraint every time I move you within the group. If I second you to one of my other entities, if your restraint is provided for protection for the group, that group is protected within that scenario because it is all related. And when you know that you are working for this entity and you're placed with someone else within the entity, it can be covered in it. If your restraint is properly drafted, and that's very important, people must not think you can go do a copy-paste exercise, get a restraint from the internet, copy and paste it and make it applicable to your business. If you're going to do that, you're going to run into problems. You have to know exactly what you're doing. Mm. Rather spend a little bit of time, effort and money on getting it correct the first time and save yourself a lot of heartache and expense later on. And your advice in closing, Helena, to employees when encountering a restraint of trade agreement, we're often inclined to just reach out for the pen, hey? I would say be very, very careful. Understand what you're doing. If you need to go and get advice, do it, please. Because once you find there, it's a constitutional principle that you are free to apply your trade, but it's also a principle that you are part of being free to apply your trade and engage in economic activity. It's your right to enter into contract. And if you are of same mind and you're an adult and you're entering into a contract, there's no reason you should not be bound by it, except in exceptional circumstances. So be very careful what you do. Understand what you are agreeing to. There's something else that I wanted to mention as well. When employees, cases where restraints have not been upheld have been where employees come to the employer with a huge amount of experience and contacts and that kind of thing. And they've learned all their skills before they've entered employment of the employer. Where you then go away and you take away that knowledge which you brought in in the first instance, the restraints have often not been enforced because of that. So that's just something to remember. But employees should really be wary of it. Don't be forced into something that you can't. I know it sounds terrible because you may be desperate for a job, but then try and negotiate out of it or try and restrain the applicability of the restraint. But don't just sign and think you can get away with it later on. And then one last thing for employers to remember is you must consider that restraints are of a limited nature in in terms of time. The first smoke you see regarding someone leaving your employment and potentially going to a competitor or somewhere else, take immediate action. You don't have to prove that harm has already occurred if you have to prove that harm is potentially a situation where harm can occur. So take immediate action because this would be in the nature of an urgent application to enforce the restraint and you have to show that you have not contributed to that urgency through a lackadaisical approach on your part. So that is very important to remember. The Business Hour with Oliver Best in the On OFM.